advocate. Like these leads won't convert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're no. not going to convert themselves, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I also like what you were saying about the skills. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my career as a marketing leader, consultant, and trusted advisor, and hopefully along the way, share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode is recorded on Friday the 20th of August. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying the same as you feel you need to be. This week, Rockstar CMO advisor Jeff Clark is away, so I have the mic and a thought. I have a fabulous conversation with Maureen Blanford, MD of B2B Unleashed, and I ease into the weekend with a trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? My thought this week is about planning and how firefighters get the girls or the boys. Yes, we've been talking about planning a lot recently on this podcast, but let's be honest, we can all be a bit reactive as marketers. There is comfort in running on the hamster wheel and some gratification comes from putting out a fire, doing the thing somebody needs right now, even if the tactical interruption burns our strategy. We're all drawn to the fire. Putting it out feels pretty damn good. And firefighters are sexy. As Seth Godin once shared, the people that pull the all-nighter react to emergencies get the parking space. On the other hand, nobody loves the fire prevention officer who ensures flammable stuff isn't lying about, inspects the smoke alarm and makes sure escape routes exist and are clear. Or the marketing equivalent who suggests we have a plan, clear goals, roles and responsibility and are guided by the data. And yet many organisations have loud squeaky wheels gleefully tossing matches into the trash cans. Doing the planning stuff that many of my guests talk about is easy to discuss and hard to do, much of which requires business change, strong leadership, and maybe, dare I say, that often uttered buzzword, transformation, that might stretch beyond the marketing team. It's easier to settle for the status quo and workarounds than highlight and tackle organizational challenges that risk the plan, and being good at putting out fires just enables this behavior. As my regular podcast guest, Robert Rose, has shared a couple of times on this show, wander around the office with the latest designs for the new website, and everybody wants to be in the meeting. Do the same with a spreadsheet of marketing plans, and you'll be in a meeting of one. It's the same if it's not the plans for the website, but a marketing fire extinguisher for when an influential sales director has set fire to the CEO's trash can. Everybody wants to be your friend. As a marketer, I'm not sure I agree with Seth Godin about getting the marketing about getting the parking space. Firefighting might get you recognised, but at the end of the year, when you reflect on what you've achieved, those tactical fires will be forgotten and the big goals will be unmet. That's my thought. A call to arms for planning. We talk a lot about it here. It's not sexy, it's often lonely, and it's hard to find the time when firefighting is fun. But check your smoke alarms. I'd love to hear what you think. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and this week's tune chooses itself. It's Firefighter by The Prodigy from 1996.
On to this week's guest. Maureen Blanford has been obsessed with making B2B a rational place for more decades than she'd like to admit. A B2B agency owner in the US prior to moving to the client side and Europe to lead marketing for tech companies on both sides of the Atlantic. Maureen is a tireless advocate for rooting out the nonsense and is devoted to closing the gaps between sales and marketing. Alongside her day job, Maureen has been writing and speaking to support B2B marketers to separate the signal from the noise. A career of supporting SMBs to Fortune 100s, both working with sales and marketing organizations based in the US and Europe, provides a front row seat to B2B's greatest weaknesses and opportunities. Her most recent book was published in February in 2021, Moats and Drawbridges, The Current State of B2B Cross-Functional Insight Sharing. Maureen is currently Managing Director at B2B Unleashed, which is a management consultancy focusing on solving the material, socio-technical obstacles to transformation. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello, Maureen. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm great and delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to chatting to you. We've been sort of following each other on Twitter for a while. I've known a lot about your work. So very nice to speak to you. Thank you very much for being on the show. Um, now, um, for people that, have, that aren't the fan that I am of following what, what you talk about on your, on your Twitter, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I have been B2B since the beginning of my career. I've never done B2C. Um, I, I say my origin story is that I fell out of university into a fabulous opportunity with NCR Corporation. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why that should be interesting to B2B folks is that the founder of NCR invented sales training as we know it today. Mm -hmm. um, so I fell into this incredibly rich B2B environment, um, surrounded by salespeople, got to ride with them, et cetera. Um, and so that's how I, that's how I got started in B2B, did not study it in school. I mean, university doesn't really talk about B2B even much anymore, do they? No, no that's true. It's all B2C. And, and yet many of us are fans of B2B, big, big, and a lot of people I speak to are B2B. Um, so you currently run your current organization, you talks a little bit about your career, and I'd like to dive into that a bit, but you're, you've got, um, your current agency is called B2B Unleashed. Tell us a bit about what you guys do or what you do. Right. So there's actually a couple meanings behind that. So <laughs> fairly standard management consultancy. Um, so I had agencies most of my career, B2B agencies. Um, then I was on the client side and in four countries, four companies um, in the last eight years. Um, but I am a big transformation fan and, and have been toiling away in transformation since about 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. um, and transformation is not working very well in the market, is it? <laughs> um, there are some folks that are doing okay, and there's a lot of really great ideas and great solutions out there, but oh boy, it's, it's tough to get organizations who are stuck in molasses to, to, yeah. to do the work. Yeah. So the B2B Unleashed is partly I want to unleash um, the B2B folks in our specter yeah. um, or in our remit, so product marketing, sales, and success away from these decades-long practices 
Um, and, and there's definitely something I want to throw in the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> and I won't say it now, but these decades long practices yeah. just to get us unleashed or unshackled from Legacy Mountain. Mm. And then the other piece of that is overall, how can companies move forward and transform um, in a space that's under their control mm. um, when they have a top heavy organization that just cannot figure it out. Right. So I want to unleash everyone. Yeah, I like it. And I'll include a link to your website as well, because I think that your reference to legacy comes across in, in what you write about on your website, which is really cool as well. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Now, you uh, we, we alluded to it just a moment ago. You've had a fantastic marketing career. I quite like the idea that you started working with sales guys. I'm interested in that because that kind of happened to me. And a lot of people I talk to, especially the technical folks that work in MarTech, came from pre-sales, which kind of helped them on. But what inspired you? I mean, you say you fell into this job. What inspired you? I mean, you studied marketing or communications, right? So what inspired I studied you? communications, not marketing. So right. I, the role that I fell into was actually um, NCR at the time had a giant studio um, where they employed, I think, 40 people. And we were doing sales support, sales enablement, event mm-hmm. support. So this would have been in like the late 80s. Wow. You know, giant slideshows, you know, 50 slide projectors for these yeah. big giant shows. Um, and so I was always working with salespeople and in doing sales enablement, it'd be how I shot the bear. And anyway, long story short there, in working with sales guys and brilliant sales leaders, one of the things I, I found out early on um, was the disdain sales had for anything created by headquarters. And to be fair, it was largely shit, the stuff <laughs> that headquarters was creating. Mm-hmm. Now, on the flip side, marketers have a lot of disdain for salespeople, don't mm-hmm. they? Um, but I always resonated earlier on with what sales was saying. I thought sales was right. Um, I thought we weren't serving them. Um, and that led to my first book called Branding Doesn't Work in B2B, which I wrote 15 years ago. It only takes me like every 15 years to write a book. <laughs> um, but that is what precipitated my drive, my model, mm. what is going to be effective to support sales organizations. And it wasn't what like the branding Madison mm. Avenue agency folks were doing. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love them. I love that, that you started off working with sales and I was trying to repress my laughter and I was unsuccessful there in terms <laughs> of what you, you were saying there in terms of sales and how they feel. Because, you know, um, you know, I've been in that those rooms, I've, you know, and I, I, I've been a technical consultant, I've been a, a sales engineer, and I've been those people that are receiving yes. that stuff from HQ. And and you're right. It's like, well, this is, and, and I always feel that as a marketer when I'm standing in front of a room full of, of people in, in, it's harder almost to present to your own team uh, or to, to your organization than it is to an external group of, of fellow marketers because you can see the cynicism. And I think it's so important to connect to sales. And we talk about that a lot on the show, actually, the connection with sales. Um, now, what you say that you've always worked in B2B and the first role was in B2B. Was that by choice? Have you always just enjoyed working with B2B? It was, I fell into it. I was Mm. 22. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And it just resonated for me. And then as time went on, it was far more interesting to me to be developing um, product and tools for humans Mm -hmm. rather than trying to be in like the Pepsi Coke game where you're Mm -hmm. trying to move, you know, a quarter percent of a market Mm -hmm. share something or other. Mm -hmm. So I always really liked the human side of the complex sale. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, when I think back to what didn't work, you know, decades ago, um, 
I, I, if you ever, if you ever worked with anyone in pharma sales, so pharma sales, people would have like two to three minutes with a doc, mm-hmm. you know, to go over the whatever. Yep. And no matter how much they told that to corporate, corporate would give them hour long presentations, <laughs> right? Or docs want stuff in black and white and corporate would produce beautiful stuff. So salespeople mm-hmm. would actually photocopy the stuff that marketing did to give it to Um, to give it to their prospects. When you look at how that's happening today, um, look at your inbox. Look at all of our inboxes are full of the most nutso sales messaging. (laughs) Um, And if if any of our companies think that we're doing that better than all the stuff we're receiving, we need to like take a look at that. Um, But it's it's just, and automation has made it worse, you know, because we've gotten poorer and poorer at being able to relate to the humans. Yeah. Um, and we're reliant on tools cascading terrible messages. Yeah. Okay. Was, done with that for now. Yeah. I was going to pick <laughs> up on that because you, and, and you nicely conclude that point about being human because you were saying, you know, that's the connection with sales you get. Because for us as marketers in our ivory tower, dictating, running our marketing machines, we don't, we're not going to stand up in front of the customer and have to say these words out loud, you know, which is what they have to do. And you realize that it makes you look like a bit of a cock, you know, so, you right. know, and, and, and they, and that's not what they, you know, they can't buy into the message because they have to say it to another human being. And we as Marxists, and I, I think that was really interesting. And um, so, so from your perspective, then you think that market B2B marketing used to be more human and is now dehumanized by the machines. <sighs> I don't think we've ever been great at it. Um, (laughs) And I think it's gotten worse because we're scaling it. Um, Because you've sold, you know, I'd love for anybody in marketing to have sold. Um, Because, you know, friends don't let friends who've who've never sold write sales cadences. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm never going to throw something over the wall that I wouldn't say to a prospect myself. So even as CMO, I'm still writing a ton of of sales cadence stuff. And by golly, I'm working that stuff and I'm saying it out loud and I'm practicing it with, you know, inbound callers, whatever. Um, But I think we, I think we're having the same conversations over and over. I was validating that with a couple of of analysts group. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also kind of why I've taken aside from a, 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 um, a direct CMO position to be able to go out and advocate Mm -hmm. Um, on some ridiculous issues, for instance, like I'm, I'm going to carry on with this a little bit sideways. Um, there's a, there's a new demand gen conference coming out. Um, and it's about marketers getting closer to revenue, which mm-hmm. I'm all about marketers getting closer to revenue. Mm-hmm. However, the thing that's not talked about in the market is, um, Whoever's written it, whoever's designing it, whether it's sales, sales enablement, or marketing, mm-hmm. the cadences that sales are using, um, and then Anthony Iannarino is a is a great sales um, guru that I like yeah. as well. Um, I've read so, a lot of his stuff. Yeah. yeah, so he actually just wrote a thing yesterday um, that did not get much action, but he um, he said, "Tell me what a, about your discovery process is different from other discovery processes?" Mm-hmm. And it was like crickets. And here's my point. Um, if we, and I've got this, I've got this audited, I'm about ready to release this as a presentation. If we get, let's assume mm-hmm. great leads, let's assume great leads that were just high quality leads over to sales. Yeah. And if sales responds with a voicemail or an email like, hi, Ian, 
I noticed that you engaged with some content on our website. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you had any questions about that content that you engaged with. I'm at blah, 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 blah. I would love to talk to you about that content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then voicemail, same message. Mm -hmm. So I could be a really great prospect for that company and have, because I capture all these sales emails and voicemails that come into me. Mm -hmm. I'm a great prospect. I'm not talking to that guy. <laughs> now, if that guy came back to me and said, in, in a model that I prefer, um, hey, Maureen, I noticed you went to the blah, blah, blah thing. I'm wondering if that's because you're slightly concerned about hitting the goals that you might have set out for this wow. year. A lot of our customers are struggling with that as well. Can we get together and talk? Yeah. Yes. Yes, we can. So, so yeah. the point is, from the, the, the point where marketing hands over to sales and yeah. sales goes, these leads don't convert. Um, it, it's really a matter of the finesse of every human at every touch point. So yeah. marketing cannot get closer to revenue if there's this slog of shite from when they <laughs> hand it over to closed whatever. Yeah, now, yeah. if this is finesse, then of course marketing should be hand um, should be held responsible some. Yeah. But the thing that 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 the thing that organizations don't want to talk to, and the thing that the tech founder ecosystem and the content cabal don't want to talk to because it it gets butts in seats, is this very important piece right here and how we fix that because mm -hmm. it's nonsense. Mm -hmm. I'm pissed off about that. I love it, and I, I, I'm. I, um, I wish I was recording the video because it was so animated <laughs> and well, excellent. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. And I, I think um, uh, what you touched on there as well is is that consuming a piece of content tells somebody something about you, about the problem that you have, and it's that thing that you want to start the conversation about, not the content. Right? I yes, think that's a really good point. So yes. sort of, I think we've I think we've uncovered your passion for B two B. I think we've answered that question for you. <laughs> And also, like you, that's sort of like, and um, I've talked about this a little bit before as well about that um, that sort of content gap when between marketing and sales. I think that's a really important point. Now, the thing I was going to talk to you about, and I am going to talk to you about, um, and the reason, not the whole reason why you're on the podcast, it's just the thing that I've been reading, is you've been writing a lot about CRO conversion rate optimization. So that's kind of part of this sort of final conversation. But before we dig into that. What is CRO and why is it important? So generally how the market talks about CRO, mm -hmm. people much smarter than me analytically and from a data perspective, mm -hmm. um, we have talked about CRO from a, um, from, a, from a data perspective. If you tweak the targeting this way or if you omni-channel out a little bit mm -hmm. or if you have the pop-up on the thing, you know, how do we get more people to convert at each conversion touch point? Right. So, so there are some absolutely brilliant folks who talk about CRO from that perspective, whose yeah. names are eluding me right now, but, <laughs> but they are, but I actually do believe in them and they, they're great. And that is an important part of the puzzle. Right, right. But it's a, it's, that's part of that. What did you call it? Mire of shit that gets you from. It's optimizing <laughs> each step of that mire of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I'm, I'm sure I used some some naughty words there. And so, but how I look it's at CRO, CMO, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> how I how I look at CRO is the messaging perspective. Mm -hmm. So anybody can go to moat.com. Mm -hmm. 
And if a company is doing digital advertising, and this is this is stuff I have, I'll I'll tell you about it when I when I release it. But you can go to Salesforce, you can look at IBM Watson, you can look at your own ads, you can look at your competitors' ads. If people are advertising, you can find it on moat.com. And so at the very top of the funnel, you will find so few um, effective ads that you might want to kill yourself for <laughs> marketers everywhere. They are so bad, including Salesforce, including Slack, including the big boys, mm. okay? So let's put that aside for a minute. Um, that needs to be fixed. And I get, I do get inspiration from Moat because there are times where I think like, that's a compelling message, I'd click on it, but let's put that aside. Mm -hmm. So let's say um, you get, um, so interstitial content. So we pay attention to the eBooks and the webinars. And you know what? I think. I think as an industry, I think we've gotten really, really good at some of that banner stuff. I'm going quibble yeah. with things here or there, but I think we've gotten good at it over the last 15 years yeah. where we still really, really suck. Um, our, um, the follow-up thank you email or what does the form say? Or, you know, what are our chances of getting, of, of people clicking to a landing page, landing on the thing? downloading the thing, what are our chances of the people from clicking to, to downloading and reading or acting or going to the thing? You know, you get 75 people to click, you maybe get 15 people to blah. Yeah. Then of those 15 people, how many of those do you get to agree to a call with an SDR, some lower percentage? And I could go on from there. So that yeah. by the time you've got 75 people clicking, you've got one person who's agreeing to show up to a call with an AE. Right. And that is really, really bad. But that's not all marketing, no. um, because at some point you're turning it over to sales and sales is, you know, coming back with these kind of mm. lukewarm, blah, blah. Um, the landing pages might not be that effective. So I want people auditing every single touch point from top of the funnel through to close one, even taking into consideration things like Anthony Iannarino's question, like, what are you doing for discovery? You know, yeah. and how's that different? I think we would be appalled. <laughs> When we look at those, print them out, look at them, you know, yeah. line them up. Um, because invariably what's happening, you've got a junior marketer writing a blah, blah, blah. And then by the yeah. time it gets to the inside sales team, they don't want to use that, but then they can't come up with anything better on their own. Yeah. Okay. I could go on for days. Yeah. And that I think is such an important part of conversion rate optimization is how are the humans interacting, whether in words or in person? Yeah. And nobody, I can guarantee you, no one is looking at that. The proof is our inboxes. Yeah, yeah, I love it, and I love the term interstitial, interstitial content. And as a as a content master or, or as a somebody a fan of that particular um, discipline, there is an awful lot of focus on that top of funnel and creating that top of funnel. And you know, when you say when you said seventy five to one, and I was sort of sort of thinking, oh right, okay, so that's a that's a contact to an MQL to an SQL to a thing. Seventy five to one is probably pretty good for a lot of organisations, but like you say. It is actually shit, and we we and sometimes I think in the metrics we we because of a lot of the automation we don't we we will drive a lot of activity and a lot of contacts at the top end in order to sift out and and we don't notice the attrition along the way and how we can con contribute to that and I, I you know so I, I like so what you're advocating then is that uh, from a content perspective we should be looking at every touch point as they come through and optimizing the content all the way through yeah yeah. Not and we should experience. be, a, the thing we do with, and I don't know how good we are at A-B testing emails, um, yeah. our, our team, 
I, in my last role, I had a lot of success with emails because the way we wrote them and a lot Mm -hmm. of success with um, webinars because the way we strategized and produced Mm -hmm. them. Um, But I'm, I'm now finishing um, a, just a very quick piece that I'm going to publish about, you know, what if we were able to not impact the ad effectiveness, but we impacted every other thing along the way, we can move from one handover to an AE to six. What if we actually made good ads yeah. and improved along the way? Then we go from one to six to maybe 15. Yeah. And it's not that much more of an investment because mm. all we're doing is working on the words, on yeah. landing pages. Yeah. Um, and trying to get organizations to pay attention to that is really hard, yeah. partly because of the discord that you have. It's like, these leads won't convert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're not going to convert themselves, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I also like what you were saying about the skills also along that funnel because we will pay a lot of money for a great piece of content with a really good um, expert or professional. And it's, yep. it's then it's, it's with that, that our best of our marketing team. We've optimized that. Our best creatives have made it look great. We've done the landing page. We've done all that stuff. But when the rubber hits the road, it's with some execution marketer who's having to write an email who's like got 17 of them to do that day. And it's blah, like that. And it's still features functions led. We're still talking about ourselves and I've got evidence of that as well, where I mean, my value prop model, so I have a piece coming out where it's like, this is your comms model every step of the way. So my value prop model is state the market pain, state the cost, and then how you map to it. Um, Do not start with you. I don't have to say this to you. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, And then that's your comms model every time. So I'll just give you one for instance. Um, Someone asks for a demo. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We lead the demo with, Hey Ian, so here's how the product works. Yeah, and then we as do the opposed- to Yeah, and then yeah. we do and instead of saying like, so Ian, I know as a blah in a blah industry, you've yeah. gotta be struggling with XYZ. I just yeah. know that. Yeah. So let's kind of talk through today how we help support that. Yeah. Um, so you're doing a demo, but you're not like doing yeah, a yeah. demo, yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's got to be wherever you are with a prospect or a customer. The yeah. first thing out of your mouth has to be the pain that they're having, the yeah. market is having, what the cost is, then lead into your thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's not about the logistics of the call. It's not about the who can show up. It's not about, did you get my thing? Yeah. We're sti- we've are we been talking about this for 20 years, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. 20 years at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in pre-sales quite a long time ago. <laughs> and well, I so always, you know. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I remember having colleagues and I've, I've led pre-sales teams and they loved their script and they would, and, and we used to call it the harbor tour where you are going to see each of these features. Whereas the better conversations obviously were what, where people were very confident with their product and with their, with their chat and could move between different things, depending on where the 100%. level of interest was. And uh, let me show you that. And I can show you how we do that. Yeah. The, the other thing we do as B2B, as B2B pre-sales folks is a lot of that harbiter is going to be table stakes that everybody else is showing them. You're not showing them the differentiation. You're not showing them the bit that's going to engage them. And you don't exactly. know what that is. Exactly. All right, so <laughs> that that we've we've digressed into demos where we were in interstitial <laughs> interstitial content. There was one more point, and and we um I really need to get moving with this. Actually, I'm okay. I mean, we'll just chat. Um, but uh, you were talking on your blog about um buyers that are not searching and searching, which I love this idea, and that we need to pay more attention to the people that are not searching for us than the ones that are searching. Tell me a bit about that. 
So I am all about latent pain. So folks mm-hmm. are searching. They're already in a transactional mindset. Yep. We all know how yep. hard it is to sell transactionally yeah. um, because they're, they're going to have gathered all their stuff. Um, so I don't know if this is a universal thing or not, but in the U.S., we talk about the frog in the hot water. So yeah. if a frog um, is in water that gets increasingly hot, like it doesn't know and it's not going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, if it jumps into hot water, it, it'll it'll jump back out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of folks. So we know in our businesses how much pain exists for our prospects um, and we know what it's costing them and we know that our solution is better. Um, but the frogs that are in the, the water that's just gotten hot, they are, don't know yeah. until you can bubble up some pain for them. And they're yeah. like, holy shit. Yeah, this sucks. Yeah. Yes, I'm interested. And if you're the first, there's pretty good science, which you can't recall off the top of my head. If you're the first one to kind of help them out of that hot water, yeah. yes, they may still search. Um, but it's not going to be as comprehensive as, as the big searcher. Yeah. So, so that. I like everybody to optimize for the folks who aren't searching because it's a forcing function to keep the market pain and the cost as the first thing you do. People are searching, you know, they're interested in your data warehouse. So you're like, let me tell you about my data warehouse. And you see all the pain uncovering or acknowledging. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Um, if somebody's searching the fact they can't find anything or whatever it is, the, the real reason why they need a data warehouse, then you're you're connecting with hearts and minds rather than the transaction. Right. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. the latent pain. You want people's reaction, even if you can't see it. You you want their reaction to be like, yeah. Oh my god, yes, yes, that's <laughs> us. <laughs> so, what techniques would you suggest to find the non-searchers? So, I would I would target them. Um, and the most important thing you can target them with mm-hmm. is are your words mm-hmm. um, that are about them and their pain and what it's costing them. I know I'm a broken record, mm-hmm. but if you're gonna if you're gonna come out if you're gonna target people and say um, our new platform um, IDC says is the best system of record in the you know come find out why like mm-hmm. no one gives a shit about no. that no yeah. one gives a shit. Yeah. Um, Whereas if you say something, you know, like some of the examples yeah. that I've used, you know, Maureen, you're a you're a CMO who's struggling with um, a terrible tech stack because mm-hmm. the integrations don't work and vendors aren't working together and blah. Yeah. Um, and that's costing you productivity. It's costing mm-hmm. you this and you've trained your team. Yeah. And so here's a better way. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. that's the for- that's how you get the searchers in. But yeah. then you can't F it up. Once yeah. they've downloaded a thing and are going to a um, an SDR who hears this person wants a demo, they don't want a demo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They you want, know, and they that's where it works problem. along the way. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And also, I mean, that IDC that you saying about the analyst saying you're the best in the world. Yeah, you're going to need that, but you're not going to need that as your opening gambit. You're going to need absolutely that when they're in the procurement phase and thinking, yes. "Uh oh, do I trust these people with my reputation?" I better, I better do some due diligence. And at that point, you whip that out. I think that's excellent. Anyway, so that was the, most, yeah. the most important thing you can do instead of that yeah. is to say the savvy thing. Yeah. So the prospect thinks, oh, my God, yeah. they get me. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, you know, you do more and more yeah. over time. Yeah, no, I love it. All right. So I'm going to move on to our final question because okay. uh, we're way over the amount of time I said we were going to take. And Damn it. <laughs> it's all right. It's my show. I'm okay. It's, it's your time that I'm worried about. So the final question, we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO, the Rockstar CMO swimming pool inspired by old rock stars that threw things in swimming pools. It's our pool to hell for the bullshit snake oil and overhyped trends that sometimes afflict this industry. What would you throw in there, Maureen? 
I would throw all automation in the swimming pool, <laughs> all automation yeah. until someone can prove that they know how to do that appropriately. Yes. Um, we are just scaling the worst nutso I'll bleep myself. I mean, it's just, it's BS. Um, but you know what? Mm-hmm. It is the unfair part, and I've railed about this for years, is the tech founder ecosystem, mm-hmm. the messages they need to vomit into the marketplace to get funding, mm-hmm. to attract funders, mm-hmm. is exactly the opposite of the messages that are going to be helpful about their product to the buyers and the yeah. users. Yeah. But then those take over the entire atmosphere yeah. and it's BS. Yeah. Um, it doesn't help buyers and customers. So I would absolutely throw throw automation in the pool. I love it. Well, we've had people throw bits of automation in the pool. I love that you've thrown all of automation in the pool. Why not throw and, all of it? Because it's all we need to start over. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot that would. I mean, it's it's become a bit of a crack pipe, hasn't it, for all for marketers? And you find that people have completely forgotten to do anything else but automation. So right. I think that would be quite the revolution. All right. Yes. Thank you very much for your time, mm-hmm. Maureen. This has been splendid. If people spin the dial on the interwebs. Where are they going to find you? They'll find me at b2bunleash.com. They'll find me at Maureen um, Blanford.com. And I am most largely on Twitter at Maureen B2B. Yes. And I would encourage people to seek you out. And I will include all your links in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time, Maureen. I look forward to yeah. seeing you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Maureen. Such a fun conversation. And we carried on chatting after recording and yet another guest that I look forward to having back. I will, of course, include all her links in the show notes, including her company and her book that you can find on our website, rockstarcmo.fm. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Good to see you in the bar this week. Um, is that what do I spot over there? Do I spot something Uh-oh. making a lot of noise? Uh-oh. Ah, let's see. Oh, you know what it is? It's a car. It's 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 a fancy race car. It, looks like. <laughs> it seems to be revving its engine. It seems to be revving its engine and trying to go somewhere. Um, Let's just close this very squeaky door here and maybe... Uh, maybe. <laughs> and, shut, and then shut the sound out. Yes. Yeah, shut the so sound okay. out of that very, very noisy race car. Uh, um, okay. Well, I mean, uh, the nice thing about you making... About this happening in the, in the bar is that, you know, it's it, it, I'm honing my my um, production skills. So. Yes, I, this is all... The, this is the... I, I'm only here for your your yes. uh, education, my friend. As a, I'm <laughs> truly here to help you sharpen the knife of your audio production skills thank you and as i tweeted um one day i'll be able to produce a a radio play in the 1950s that's right (laughs) that's right we'll turn this whole thing into a radio play (laughs) well i'm glad we shut that car up that's jolly good and we can't hear that anymore although uh, i should be impressed with the v8 engine sound and it's good to see custom cars in this area um but what is that you've got in your glass there sir oh we have a lovely drink tonight Mm -hmm. um a very fun um, very simple, 
very simple drink um, that we're calling the Tequila Mockingbird. Get it? <laughs> okay. Tequila Mockingbird? Okay. Mm. All right. Maybe not. You're full of puns. Uh, yeah. It's uh, uh, basically what we have here is, so one of my favorite fruits is mm. raspberry. Um, and so you can get, you know, you can do this a number of ways. You can sort of muddle raspberry if you need to, or you can just make a puree out of it, sticking it into a blender, whatever your favorite way of getting to a sort of raspberry, you know, sort of puree kind of consistency is. Put that into the bottom of a glass um, and then squeeze in your lime over the top of that. And then over the top of that, put whatever amount. I, I always, a heaping, generous, wonderful amount of tequila. But I think a Blanco tequila for this, your favorite Blanco tequila. So something very light um, here, um, not an Anejo, not a Reposado, but a Blanco tequila. And okay. then, um, and then put the ice on top last. So the order of operations here is what's important. So the mm -hmm. puree goes on the bottom, and right. then you put your lime juice on top of that. And then, then you can. It, then it doesn't matter whether you do the the tequila or the ice next, but do your ice and then tequila, and then a slight stir with your stir stick or your straw or whatever you like, and enjoy. And it's just absolutely spectacular. That sounds delicious. I'm interested in why the order. That sounds um, it, what, what's, because what, what happens is, is is that the puree, mm -hmm. it, it the, the puree will be at the bottom of the glass, right. and with the slight stir of the stick, the puree pretty much still stays at the bottom. So you get this lovely uh, color difference between the yeah. the the raspberry puree and the. Um, uh, and the uh, and the tequila and 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 the other thing that's important is that as it as you start to drink it, if you're drinking it through a straw or if you're drinking it, you know, by tipping your glass back, um, you will you'll get a nice mix of the tequila and the raspberry puree as you go. You won't just get this like overwhelming raspberry puree, and then you know it's it's nice. it's a better way to mix it up as you drink it, and and it nice. looks beautiful too. Nice. Well, as you may have heard, I've started preparing my glass uh, because it is, uh, it's very important the order that we do things. Um, so I, uh, I, I've put ice in the glass. I, I haven't got any raspberries on my desktop bar, unfortunately. So I've, I've muddled some ice nice. <laughs> into my glass. Uh, and then um, I have a very light um, Blanco gin. <laughs> ah, a Hendrix Lunagin this week. I see. Well, that's the same color, at least. Yes. It's the same color as a Blanco Sweet. tequila. Mmm, that smells jolly good too. And uh, and then what was the what did what, what apart from you put a bit of lime in, didn't you, into yours? A little bit, yeah. A, a, a mm. good a, a good amount actually of uh, yeah. you know squeeze a full lime in there, squeeze or yeah. or basically put in some lime juice, your preference. Ah yes, well, um, I went with um, something very, very similar that I that I have here on my desktop bar, which is uh, tonic water, Indian tonic ah. water, some of the finest in the world, I believe, full of goodness, just like a lime juice. Let me taste this. Oh, it's um, it's a bit strong. I put too much gin in, but that's delicious. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. That's delicious. And uh, what were you calling this? Uh, we're calling this Tequila Mockingbird. Get it? Mm. 
I certainly do. I think I, that would definitely kill my mockingbird. How much do you know I've put in that? But that's delicious, uh, Robert. I could drink one of these every week. Thank you very much. I, I, I can imagine you could. And uh, I probably shouldn't. Um, but the, <laughs> um, where on earth are we going to be drinking tequila mockingbird? Well, I think we need someplace sophisticated for our drinks. Oh. The, mm-hmm. the bar, you know, as we as we look out upon the race cars and the and the uh, <laughs> and the squeaking door, um, I think we need someplace uh, wonderfully sophisticated. So I'm 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 taking us back this week to 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 London, mm-hmm. um, and there is a restaurant. I don't know if you've eaten there uh, or not or been there. There is a brilliant restaurant at the top of, and you'll forgive me. I always get the two confused between the there's the gherkin. And then mm-hmm. there's the other one. What's the other one? Um, the, um, the, we've, we've got uh, nowadays. We've got more than one. Uh, uh, no, you've got multiples, right? But there's <laughs> they have the it's the uh, it's, uh, it's there's the Nat West Tower. There's the Gherkin. Uh, there's Oxo Tower. There's uh, the what, I don't know what the official name of the Walkie Talkie is, but we've got a new one called the Walkie Talkie. Shard. Uh, the Shard. Yeah. Oh, Richard. yes, I've been there. Mm. It's a beautiful, wonderful Shangri-La. restaurant at the top of the Shard, and yeah. I've, it's, a, it's a very sophisticated little place. Mm. The food is not terribly sophisticated, but the place is very sophisticated, yeah. and beautiful. brilliant views of London from there, and, mm. and, 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 and that's where mm. I think we should be. Oh, I did an event there once. Uh, I did a, a breakfast, was it a breakfast event? or a day? Oh, it was, just, it was just splendid, and, the, and, the, and I don't like heights, uh, but I, I, you just, you're up there, and it's just amazing. Just yeah, amazing. it's just unbelievable, yeah, and it's yeah, such a cool build. It's such a cool building. Yeah, it, and great place to do an event because, well, I mean, you could be standing on stage and speaking, everybody's looking out the window. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, that's um, so that's that's a splendid place to be, and you're over in London. It sounds perfect. What? Um, uh, and then as we uh, look over the look overview and discuss, you know, what building is called what. <laughs> what, um, <laughs> what, what would what would we be talking about once we're done with that? Well, I have a fun time trip down a, a, a bit of nostalgia um, mm-hmm. because I, I, I was thinking about this um, as I was talking to a uh, VP of, of of marketing at a tech company um, last week about content strategy. Yeah, and it was the interesting thing is is that um, uh, you know so let's call it. 60 years ago, right? Um, There used to be this sort of litany of advertisements that you would see that really are cringeworthy these days, right? You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the popular tropes of these ads was a husband giving the wife something truly and wholly uh, unromantic, right? A vacuum cleaner or an oven or a toaster. (laughs) And assuming it was, of course, something that she longed to have, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when the narrator comes on and goes, yeah, it wasn't. Um, (laughs) And even 10 years ago, JCPenney, the retailer here in the States, basically Mm -hmm. tried to do something similar, but basically turn it on its head a little bit with, they had a whole campaign called Beware of the Doghouse. Um, And in it, (laughs) a guy gets sentenced to the to literally the doghouse like a jail after giving his wife a, a you know a fancy quote unquote dual bag vacuum cleaner um, and even this feels a little off right these days yeah. because you know it's yeah. of course the trope of the clueless husband and you know mm-hmm. and 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 at the end of the commercial they suggest the only way out of the doghouse 
is through if you give your wife jewelry, which of course feels a little eh, off these yeah. days too. Yeah. And then even more recently, you had Peloton that found itself in the proverbial doghouse when its Christmas ad went viral because, you know, of course, you know, the guy gave his wife the Peloton machine and, mm -hmm. you know, and of course it perpetuates all these stereotypes and all of that. But anyway, yeah. the point being that at one point or another, we've all given gifts to our friends, our family, our loved ones that were just wrong. And <laughs> it, it, in my 25 plus now years of marriage, I, I, what I've learned, if I've learned one thing, yes. if I've learned one thing yes. about giving gifts is if I feel like I have to preface a gift by saying, okay, <laughs> open this, I'm going to explain it to you. I should probably think twice before wrapping it up. Yes, and we had a whole conversation about explaining things too. So we know that that's not... That's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so the same here goes mm -hmm. for in our... And so this was when I was having this conversation with the, uh, with the VP of marketing there talking about content standards. She and her team had spent a great deal of money and time and effort, and they developed these new personas. They developed mm -hmm. customer journey maps. They developed editorial guidelines. And they'd spent a month then taking all these new wonderful documents and rolling them out, giving them as a gift, basically, to all the other parts of the business, sales and demand gen and everything, yeah. by doing lunch and learns, right, where they would give these gifts away. And here's where the narrator comes back in and goes, yeah, it didn't go well. Mm -hmm. um, because none of these other groups, the sales enablement group, the product marketing group, the social media team, none of them had asked for these tools. And more importantly, none of them knew how to do anything with them at all. And so in their view, basically the tools represented all these things that would make their jobs more complex and hard and you know yeah. bureaucratic. And so basically the content crew, the content strategy team, they basically had given all the other teams vacuum cleaners and yeah. had wound up in the doghouse as a result. And so one of the things, then the lessons that we tried to sort of talk through here is that you kind of have to do it like you where you know where and how and why you buy vacuum cleaners in your family, right? What what do you do? You do it as a joint session, right? You yeah. you make that decision jointly, not because everybody's going to appreciate having a vacuum cleaner, but the thing that you're trying to sell or you know get everybody's buy-in around is that a clean house is awesome, and so yeah. we should all get a vacuum cleaner. We should all get this new tool. Yeah. And so my advice to her was those lunch and learns, those sessions that you're going to have come before you go do, yes. buy, you know, buy these tools and you get the yeah. buy in about the concept of these yeah. things so that they are excited about their entry. Now, yeah. your team, like I am in my family, like I'm in my family. I'm the designated manual reader. I'm the guy who unboxes it and puts it together and learns how to use it. And then I'm a train the trainer kind of person teaching everybody yeah. else how it, how it all works. And that's fine. That's great. But you've made the choice then to give each other the gift mm -hmm. of these content tools and you'll stay out of the doghouse. I love it. I love it. And that's very similar to the conversation we had last week, wasn't it? About being inclusive and bringing people into. Yeah, of course. Yeah, these very much yeah, so. yeah. 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 No, I love it. And as the person who is actually not allowed to buy domestic appliances because. Right. <laughs> I, 
right. I always go for the one that's shiny and has got a blue light on it or something like that. And apparently that's not the best way to choose a vacuum cleaner. No. Um, so, <laughs> so it's similar to you. You know, we have to have, uh, you know, there's no point in me going out and, and gifting something like that because I would have bought the wrong thing. And in fact, um, I love you. I love it when you talk about giving gifts and having to explain them because that that sounds like Christmas at my house <laughs> for sure. <Yeah. laughs> exactly, because <laughs> I'm lousy at it. Um, but yeah, so that's so. Um, so you're you're what you're saying, and again, it's a bit like what I was saying last week. That's where the work comes in, isn't it? Is preparing the business almost for the fact that you're going to start doing content marketing, and this is what it's going to need, and you're including other people's opinions in it before you then give the gift is that i mean is that what you're saying yeah it's the the the, yeah. the gift to the extent that there is one is you going around educating yeah. inspiring yeah. and delivering information to those teams about why these tools are important to yeah. exist full stop yeah. um the fact that you haven't created them yet or acquired them is almost you know secondary to getting everybody bought into the fact that yeah you know what you know what we need folks we need a circular saw and let me mm -hmm. tell you why we need a circular saw mm -hmm. here you know at this yeah. business and you start extolling the benefits of everything they'll get and everything you'll get and everything the business will get out of this and you're getting everybody excited about it but the gift isn't the circular saw the gift isn't the personas the gift isn't the tool the gift is getting everybody exciting and wanting to use the tool. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to focus on um, and put a, put our efforts around. So that by the time you're ready to roll it out, everybody is already in and wants to attend and wants to understand which button, buttons to push and how to yeah. push it and what the light actually does. The blue light on the vacuum cleaner actually is yeah. supposed to be functional for. So that's yeah. the, that's the difference is, is that, is that, we often think that we'll go off and do this stuff and everybody will be thankful for what we've done. But yeah. what we need to realize is that nobody's asking for this because no. nobody either A, knows it exists or they have skepticism that it's useful or they yeah. think it's just another bureaucratic step in the process. And yeah. what, you're, what you're selling is the functional benefit of the tool, the why of the tool. Yeah rather than actually the tool itself. Yeah, yeah. So the gift is the clean house, not the vacuum cleaner. And yeah, exactly right. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah, That's yeah, just yeah. a functional tool to get us there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it's the, I mean, we discussed this a number of times, don't we? It's about aligning your um, goals and outcomes as a marketing team, isn't it? With the goals and outcomes. I mean, to, I mean, your analogy is much nicer, but the, the goal and outcome there is the clean house, isn't it? And if we all agree, those are the goals that we're all going for. Then from a content marketing perspective, you then say, well, I need to do these things in order to contribute to that goal. Here are my gifts. You're, here are, here's my contribution to that gift, um, I guess, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and understanding what everybody wants and needs a priori, right? Mm -hmm. In other words... And we talked about this a, a, a few episodes ago where we talked about the idea of, you know, what people in the other teams, the other groups, what sells something is what's in it for them, right? Yeah. You know, we can talk about how it's good for the business till we're blue in the face. And if everybody goes, yeah, I don't care if it's good for the business, yeah. if it makes my job harder, you know, yeah. no, yeah. right? And so what you need to do is not just say, the business needs this, therefore we're getting it, therefore suck it up, buttercup. It's going to be, <laughs> you know, 
It's going to be, no, no, no. This is how it's good for you. This is how it yeah. makes your life easier. This is how it, you know, this is why a clean house is good for you. You know, yeah. so it's not, you know, you go to your kids and you try and extol the benefits of a clean house to them and they go, <laughs> yeah, I don't care that much. Right. I'm, I'm fine to live in my own filth for a while. You know, I'm good with that. But if you talk about how it's good for the, how a clean house is good for them, now all of yeah. a sudden they're bought in. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that thought. I love that thought. And um, I enjoy your thoughts every week. But if people are looking for more of these kinds of thoughts, despite listening to this every week, where would they find them? Robert? Well, they'd find it at contentadvisory.net, which is our little cave on the internet. That's lovely. And when they spin the dial on the interwebs, where do they find you? You'll find us all over social media and you'll find us at uh, Robert underscore Rose on Twitter. Um, and then, of course, both Content Advisory and me are on LinkedIn, if you're interested in either of those things on following on LinkedIn. Oh, I'll, and I'll, of course, I'll include all your links in the show notes. Thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you in maybe a slightly quieter bar next week? <laughs> you probably will. I will. We'll see how quiet it is. But yeah, I'll be here. <laughs> Fabulous. Thank you very much, mate. I'll see you then. You bet. Thank you, Robert. Sharing the gifts of marketing, a wonderful thought for Friday. So that's a wrap on episode 76 of the Rockstar CMO FN Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Maureen and Robert. I really appreciate their time and for them to share their insight with us. So please check out their work. You can find all their links in the show notes in your favorite podcatcher or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Let me know what you think. Get in touch with your Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, or please leave a rating or review, or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff Clark is back. I'm planning on catching up with Christine Del, Del Villar, who you may remember from episode 64. Her book is now out, and we'll dive into that. And I'll no doubt find Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.